Okay, let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. Tonight we're going to finish dealing with the last of the seven churches that Jesus um, addresses. And as I said, next week we'll look in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and look at some things there. Now, it seems as though whenever you move into certain books of the Bible... Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them, you see some common themes, some, some common thoughts moving. And once again, we're going to look at some things here. And what Jesus says here to this seventh, seventh church, the church of Laodicea, is really something I believe that all Christians should see, that all Christians should have a revelation of at least part of what Jesus is saying to this church because it's so important. What we leave this life with will be dependent upon, of course, the work of the Lord in us, but our heart surrender to Him. Now, whenever the Lord comes to these churches and He begins to bring the sword of the Spirit to cut them and actually tell them something that needs to be corrected. There's always a reaction. You know there's always a reaction to the word of the Lord. There's always a reaction to the spirit of the Lord moving. And the reaction can be a positive thing from an individual or it can be a negative thing in that there is not the surrender that the Lord is looking for. So that whenever you come and you start to look in the scriptures. The scriptures are good. You can see things that will help you. But remember this, that unless our hearts are surrendered to him, that which he wants to accomplish through our lives, through the word that's brought to us, may not be accomplished. So having revelation is not just the answer. People can, and actually, if you, if you stop and think about it, revelation is the, the full thing is that you see it, it's revealed, and you act upon it. There's something that, that happens in the person that's true revelation. But just being able to see in the scriptures is not that, uh, how can I say it? it? It's not going to help you as far as accomplishing the purpose of God for your life. Now, I'm not talking about a purpose, for example, an outward thing where you would become a missionary or anything like that. But the inward purpose of God, where he's trying to conform us into the image and likeness of Christ. And so just knowing scripture, reading the Bible, teaching, see, knowing these things for me is not what I'm truly looking for. I'd rather not have all this great knowledge of the Bible if it means that I'm going to have that and come way, way, way behind as far as 
the character of the Lord worked into my life through that. So revelation is good as long as the revelation produces something in our lives, not just a knowledge, a head knowledge, not just knowing things. Better not to know anything in the Bible and to have a heart that is, that is uh, soft and humble and surrendered so the Lord can, can mold the individual and, and do certain things there. Uh, so the Lord comes and he gives this to this pastor. And of course it, it applies to him and the church. But as I see it, the pastor becomes the reflection of what's going on in the church with the people many times. Not always, but many times. And the word once again here, uh, repent in this instance is in the singular form. And uh, I mean, just because something's in the singular form doesn't, sometimes it doesn't have any bearing on anything. But I believe it does in this instance because he's dealing, when he says repent, if I, if I can't come over here and I look at you and I say repent, and it's in the singular form, I'm talking to you. But if I stand up here and I say repent, and it's in the plural form, that can refer to everyone here. So when Jesus says here repent, and it's in the singular form, remember he is speaking to the pastor at the church of Laodicea. So it's not that that does not apply to his church, it does, but it first of all has to apply to him there must be a change that takes place within him in order for that to be, uh, you can say, trickled down through him to the church, given out to the church. So if the individual pastor uh, is right with God, and you see this many times, and he's ministering correctly, and then there's a problem with people in the church, that's something different. But in this case, the Lord is coming to the messenger, the pastor of the church, with a message for him and for the church, but primarily, or, or first, he, it's, it's applying to him. The Lord wants to deal with him on a personal level because he will be the key in bringing forth to the people the message of God, whatever that may be, to them. So let's begin... In verse 14, And unto the pastor of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. So the first thing that Jesus deals with here with this pastor, in the introduction, as I see it, he's dealing with the pastor's witness. Verse 15, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold, I would that thou were hot or cold. So he's dealing with his witness. How can he be correct and how can his witness be correct if he's lukewarm? Now, the word witness here in the Greek is martis. That's where we get the word martyr. And there's several meanings, different meanings of the word. And a martyr, we always relate to when we hear the word in English, you know, that's someone who has been killed for their faith, for, for their relationship with the Lord. But there's other meanings of the word. For example, 
And I, I like this. We'll get to this meaning in a minute. One who testifies or declares or he verif verifies what he has heard or seen, like John opens his epistle. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, declare we unto you. But the meaning here that I really like is this. Those who have been deprived of their lives because of their relationship to Jesus. So that applies to those who actually were physically put to death and Christians today. See, are we, not the English word, get away from the English word, are we martyrs in that we have been deprived of our lives because of our relationship with Jesus Christ? And you say, well, what do you mean deprived of our lives? Well, you may have wanted to do certain thing, this thing over here, or you want your life to go in this direction. But now, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, you have said, okay, Lord, that's it. It's not my will that I'm interested in anymore. It's your will. And you actually here living are deprived of your life, what you would want to do because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. There are places that you don't go. There are maybe people that you don't associate with. Whatever that may be that you may have wanted at one point in your life, now you, through your surrender, have been deprived of that because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. That will become a witness, not with your speaking, but with your living. See, a witness is first of all to be a, a that's to be a development within. It says here that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. So in order to be this witness that, you, that Jesus was, the, the word says he was faithful. And that, those two words are used together, I don't know, maybe four or five times in the New Testament referring to Jesus being the faithful and true witness. So that your faithfulness to the Lord, not short term, but long term, walking with him, being faithful to him, in whatever way that is for you personally, will be a key in making your witness or making you a true witness so that you as a Christian, and you hear this many times where people will talk about the Lord and share their testimony, but the testimony in and of itself is not the witness that I believe that he's talking about here, or, or he's referring to himself. It is that which is developed in you through the work of God, through his ways in your life personally. He develops something within you, the work of Christ, which now for you, because of what he's done for you, in you, and through you, now becomes a part of you, and that becomes a witness that you speak about. See, it's not just about speaking things, you know, about the Lord. That's okay. But it is to have as a source the work that has been done, the foundation that has been laid correctly in the individual's life. So that whenever you do say something, when there is a witness, 
there is this dual thing there where you are the witness you speak, not just you speak because you're saved. See, you are, you speak out from what you are. He, he makes you a true witness, and when you speak, you are a true witness to what God has done in your life. And he's done something in every one of our lives. Everyone, everyone that's here. So in order for the Lord to get the Christian where he wants them to be, it's going to take martyrdom. <laughs> Not killing you physically, but maybe killing our will until his will is what we're interested in not what we wanted. So this pastor here does not have the witness he should have, and Jesus points that out by saying, you're lukewarm. The elders which are among you, this is in Peter. Peter says, I exhort whom also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Well, Peter not only witnessed the sufferings of Christ personally, as far as him seeing Jesus suffering. But Peter also entered in, like Paul did and said, entered into that same suffering of the Lord being mocked and rejected and, and so forth. Well, that's why Peter says that, that he can be a witness. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ there and here. <laughs> so the pastor here, I, I don't believe, was giving the witness he should, should have uh, given, and because of that, first of all, those in the church were affected. See, now, I don't know what, what goes on with this fellow, but you can see today, if an individual, now let's just stop here for a minute and think about this. An individual who is a Christian, does something over here on the side, and they're in all types of sin. Do you think that affects the people around them, even if they don't know? Let's say they don't know what that individual's involved in. Okay, let's say uh, a husband. He's out doing all kinds of things he shouldn't do. And he comes into the home, and he says, well, all that I did, that sin is hidden, and that won't affect my wife and my family. They, they don't know. Well, they may not, might not know, but the individual brings with them their spirit. And their spirit has an influence whether they are aware of it or not. See, it's better to have the man of the house right with God and bringing the right spirit into the house than to sit around with the wrong spirit and have Bible studies with his children and his wife. I'm telling you, that's not, the, that's not it. The enemy has come to me on occasion a while back, years ago, and tried to condemn me for not having Bible studies in my home for my, my children. And I, I never in my spirit... Well, we did it on occasion here and there, but never a structured thing like some people do. And I often wondered about that. But the Lord was more interested, I, I see now, in me and my spirit and my wife and her spirit in the home 
rather than teaching them different things in the Bible. Having children exposed to the spirit of wisdom and revelation, having children exposed to godly people that are walking with him, desiring him, and moving with him, and having them in a place where they are in that does more to influence them than anything else. And I believe, and I'm speaking this from experience, having them here has been a tremendous help for them spiritually. I see those who were here and have taken their families out, and I see their children, and their children are into business, they're into all these things, not that there's anything wrong with having a good job, no. But I see that spiritually, they are far, far behind their lacking. Some of them don't even have any interest whatsoever in the Bible, in the Lord, in church, or anything like that. So the point being that there is an influence that we can have and that others can have on us. So the pastor cannot live in sin. Well, he can live in sin, and the Lord can still, to some degree, use him in spite of that. I've seen that happen too. But best case scenario is that he is right with God. He's not hiding his sin. And now he becomes an influence to those around him, and in particular the church. Very important. So because of his bad witness, not being the witness he should be, it has to affect the people, some of the people, in the church. If a pastor isn't committed to the Lord, he's not committed to the word, and so that will affect the church in one way or another. And then secondly... Those who would have, that would have turned to the Lord and didn't because of an incorrect witness. See, it affects these people. You know, there are people that, because of someone's witness, they turn aside. They won't, they won't approach the Lord. Now, some use that as an excuse. But others, maybe they would have come. But because of what they see, the hypocrisy they turn around and go the other way. They don't want anything to do with it. So now the Lord has to use other situations and other people maybe to help that person along, maybe to influence them you know, toward him. So the, the big factor here, as I see it, in becoming a, a true witness is this faithfulness. that You see that in there, faithful and true witness. Verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou art cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So the, the Lord here brings up the condition of the pastor. The Lord is concerned with a, with a person's individual spiritual condition. See, he's concerned about every person here, He's concerned about all the people in the church. He's concerned about all Christians. He's concerned about one's spiritual condition. Whenever you read about these seven churches here, 
Five of the seven he comes to, and he's very concerned about where they are, where they are. So two-sevenths two were in good shape. Uh, you know, I always look at that in the, in the scriptures because it, the majority always seems to be into something else. You always see this remnant everywhere in the Bible. You see it in, with the children of Israel. You see it later on in uh, the minor prophets. There's always this remnant. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it in the New Testament. You see it here with the churches. There's a remnant there that are faithful. And the other ones are they're going to church. They're hearing about Jesus and what have you. But they never press forward into other things. They're, they're just where they are. So he says here, you are lukewarm. That, war, that means tepid is the description for lukewarm. This means it's warm. Jesus doesn't want warm. He says warm or cold, you know. Hot or cold, no in between, you know what I mean. Uh, no lukewarm, no tepid. He says you're cold, okay, you're over here, that's fine. We'll deal with you. Be hot, but in the middle, there's no middle ground as far as the Lord's concerned. He says, what's he say? I'm going to spit you out, and what's that mean? I'm going to vomit you. There's a bad taste in the Lord's mouth. See, Christians can leave a bad taste in the Lord's mouth. You know, and maybe you have never experienced this, have you ever been around someone and they're, I, I don't want to use the word profess, professing Christian, they're Christian, they say they're Christian, they read the Bible, even maybe they go to a good church, and you're around them, and after a while, it's like the, the individual kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth for Christianity because their witness is so poor. They're, they're, they're talking and singing about Jesus and all this other stuff on the work floor, and then next thing you know, they're into this secular song and singing and yelling about that. So people are odd. Sometimes that there is, with a Christian this heart that you don't even want to be around them. There are Christians that I don't really like to be necessarily around them because of the way they are. Not that I wouldn't want to help them. I, you know, they normally reject the help. They, don't, they think they're okay. They don't want anybody to tell them anything. But some Christians are, you know, maybe you don't know anybody like that. I don't know. But they're not living where they should live. They're not walking with the Lord the way they should walk. And because of that, sometimes there is a, a lukewarmness. Another way to say it is they're carnal. And we'll look at that in a little bit. They're carnal. But he says, I'm going to vomit you. Or in, in that actuality, if you want to bring that down to the, the bottom term there, he's, he's rejecting them. He's saying, I'm going to reject you because of where you are spiritually. And that's quite something. He comes to the pastor, and he's going to tell him, he's, he says, I'm going to reject you unless things change. And there are those who have walked with God for a period of time, 
and they actually they they move off and they're still Christians you talk to them you know they'll talk to you about the Bible and they may know truth but they have moved away from the purpose of God the will of God for their life to some other place that is a lower place than God's will uh, and they move in that place and don't really realize that the Lord is rejecting them now I'm not saying they're not saved and he's rejecting them as far as salvation but he's rejecting them in that there are certain things now that will not be developed in their life and they will suffer the loss of that later on now and later on verse 17 because thou sayest I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing now let's just hold our place here and go to one John he says because thou sayest 1 John 1 verse 6 if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness we lie and do not the truth I want you to see the first three words if we say verse 8 if we say that we have no sin verse 10 if we say that we have not sin so the Christian can say a lot of different things we can say this about ourselves or about someone else and say this about them and that. You know, if we say we're right with God and we're not, we can say a number of things. We can say a lot of different things. But because we say it, because a person believes it, doesn't mean it's correct. If you say, because thou sayest, I am rich. That's what the pastor was saying. He was rich. He was rich. Now, I don't know whether he was saying that with his mouth, he may have, or he may have been saying that with his spirit. Either way, Jesus is saying that that is coming out of him, one way or another. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and have need of nothing. Now, maybe he was rich physically. Maybe he had a lot of money. Maybe the offerings were really good. Maybe he fell in with a bunch of business people, you know, that really put a lot of money in toward, toward his ministry. Having material things is not a sign of God's blessing. It's not a sign of God's approval. It's not a sign of his will. It's not a, a sign that he delights in the individual. Riches are neutral. A person can be rich. A person can be poor. It doesn't really matter. But just because a person has money doesn't mean that uh, the blessing of God is upon their life at all. Now, we can look in the Bible and you can see Abraham and Job and so on. But they were the few, actually. But they had a spirit that could handle it. They could handle the riches. And I know I've said this before, but just looking at this for just a minute... How many people have hit the lottery and, you know, had this desire for money and it's destroyed their lives? You hear about it all the time. There's so many people where their lives were totally destroyed. Now, how many here, don't raise your hand, please. Just, how many here 
would like to hit the lottery for a hundred million dollars? Do you, you know, the work of the Lord you could do and all that you could support with a hundred million dollars? Well, first of all, you get a new house, you get a car and all that first. You get all that settled first. Now the work of the Lord will take care of the work of the Lord. But let me tell you something. The Lord showed me this. The awesome responsibility that the Christian, now if you're a carnal Christian, doesn't matter. They're, you know, they're, they're not looking or being interested in any of this. But if you're walking with God, and God gave you $100 million, I said, Lord, I, said, I wouldn't want it. I would be afraid to have a million dollars because all the burden of responsibility for funneling that money exactly where it should be would fall upon my shoulders and I would be judged by I would be judged by every penny of it. And I don't know if I'd want that responsibility. Because you can give an individual money and by doing that you can completely destroy what God's trying to do in a person's life. And you know, we just take the money, oh there's a need there, I'll get there. There's a need over there. Uh, let's send some money over here. And you can be causing more problems with it than as far as the kingdom of God than helping. So having money, like this pastor saying, he says, I am rich. I don't know. Maybe he was thinking he was spiritually rich. I don't know. Maybe both. Maybe he thought he was spiritually rich and also had material riches. I don't know. But either way, the Lord comes to him and says, you're saying, I am rich, and it seems as though he's talking about primarily physical riches, because the next part of the verse says, and increased with goods. What's it say in ESV, verse 17? For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you were, that you were wretched, miserable, okay. poor, and, and the King James said increase with goods. I don't know. Any, NIV? I have rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. I have acquired wealth. So it looks as though it's it's a material thing there. But like I said, it could still be it, the guy could have thought that he had spiritual wealth. You know, having even biblical knowledge is not necessarily spiritual wealth. You know that, right? Spiritual wealth comes by character. Now, the Word of God and Revelation will help. But a person who has biblical knowledge, you can quote every verse in the Bible. There's a couple of people, you know, live today that I know of, not personally, but I know, they have every single verse in the Bible memorized, every verse. And they can just boom, 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 verse after verse after verse, all these long Old Testament verses, word for word. It does not mean, first of all, that they have revelation of what they're quoting. And secondly, it does not mean that they have the character of the Lord. See, so revelation is good. It's necessary. We should have it. But revelation is not the end in and of itself. It's a means to an end, but it's not the end. Now, he says here, Jesus is telling him, but thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Now, now, Jesus is going to say, okay, this is what you think. Now, 
this is what I think. And I like Jesus because Jesus can get down to the core of the issue. Thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, how would you like the Lord come and say something like that to you? I wouldn't. I wouldn't even like the Lord coming to me and saying, you've been unfaithful. That would be enough of a crushing blow, let alone saying this. But Jesus sees the condition this pastor's in. And he doesn't pull any punches like the expression is, you know, he, he gets right there, down to the quick, right, right down. Why does Jesus do things like that? You know, I'm a person that doesn't like confrontation. Some people like confrontation. I never cared for confrontation. And most of the time I'll try to avoid it. The Lord here, not that he wants confrontation, but he is not going to move aside when it means the individual's spiritual welfare is at stake. Now, we aren't the Lord. We need the Spirit of God to help us, to teach us, to guide us in the direction to take. And you have to understand, Jesus is Jesus, and he knows just what to say, when to say it. That, for us, is very hard. That is why we need to depend on the Holy Spirit, that he would somehow help us and, and show us what to do. So there's an individual that I, I've been recently in contact with, and my first inclination, and I say my inclination, was to just, unload but it's like the Lord was just holding back to use wisdom and try winning them in a different way but the Lord is nice because if you want to learn he'll teach you and you know what we do the Lord takes the person this is this is how God is he takes the person who is very very forward and very blunt to the point, and he tries to curb that, curb that, change, change that, <laughs> so that there is a, more of a dependency upon him in their speaking. And then he tries, and I do say try, to take the other person who is, you know, shy and quiet and wants to hide under something, he tries to bring them out so he can use them to speak a word in season to someone. So the Lord has his hands full with both types. But the point is that the Lord wants to bring forth that which he wants to bring forth using you and I whenever or whatever situation. By getting back to where we are here, the pastor says one thing, the Lord comes and he says, that's not the issue. That's not what's going on at all. He says, you do not know. You do not perceive. You do not know even how to obtain the true riches. It makes me wonder what kind of pastor this was. Now, we're used to pastors in the U.S. I mean, there's different churches. How many here have ever gone to more than one or two churches? Okay, I've... I've gone to quite a few different churches. And if you're there for a period of time, you may have a good pastor. I mean, there's good pastors out there. 
and then there are those that maybe aren't as good. And anyway, when I was on the mission field in uh, Guatemala, I saw a complete lack of growth, is probably the best word to use, in men who were pastoring. They've been pastoring. And the reason being is that the gospel went forth in that country so full and quick throughout you know, the different areas of the country and people came to the Lord and there were groups all over the place and no pastor. So they would take a person and, and okay, you're the pastor. So if we were in, in this group here and we, you know, we, get, we all get saved, and they'd say, okay, Dave, you're the pastor. And that's it. That they appoint a pastor and then they're the pastor. Now, I don't know, uh, Eric, I'd have to talk to Eric whether a lot of these, they're all linked together throughout, a lot of them throughout the country. But the point I'm trying to make is that there is a lack of development as far as the character of Christ in them. Now, they function as pastors. I mean, they, they're good pastors, many of them. But some of them are in a bad way. And what I mean by that is their spiritual condition is not what it should be. That's why when we went down there, we did seminars for pastors. I mean, we could go to different churches and preach what we did. But mainly it was for the pastors to try to, you know, encourage them, try to give them something, uh, a view of the scriptures, uh, showing that it's important to have the character of the Lord developed in you because if it's developed in the pastor and he starts walking correctly, then that can filter down through the churches. And in Peru, I, I, I only well, I did a seminar with 20, about 25 or 30 pastors and I went out preaching every night at different churches and I was in contact with maybe 10 other pastors. But it didn't seem to me that there was a lack, as, as much of a lack as in Guatemala as far as the, the character of the Lord in, in the pastors, the development there. But there were some. There were those who, the one individual, I know nothing about them. I, I don't even remember their name. All I remember is the message the Lord gave for that church. It was a message, message of correction for the pastor. And I knew in my heart that he was not where he was to be. And after the service, he, he wouldn't even, he, he was like a distance from me. He, he wouldn't come close to me, and I knew why. And eventually he came, but he came with four other people, you know, in a crowd, a group. And, you know, shook my hand and uh, whatever, and, and, and I left. But... Having the Lord use you as a Christian to bring a word, it, it may not be like that, but bringing a word that someone needs, whatever that may be, is quite an honor to be able to be used by God in any way. You know, there's people out there, Christians, that need help. And you may be the person that's there. And you may have something good to, to to share with them or to give them. But Jesus, in his dealing here, he's very, very strong in what he says. You are wretched 
miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The word wretched here, uh, one, of the, one of the meanings is in very poor quality or very poor condition. So he's, he's telling him you are in a, that could have been mentally, spiritually, you're in a poor condition. The quality there uh, of your heart is not what it should be. Um, it can mean a few other things also, but another meaning is, is that you're pathetic. Your condition is pathetic. I, I was actually thinking about this, that how many people today, Christians, or even pastors, could the Lord come to and say that? There's probably quite a few of them, and, and they don't hear. And he says that you are miserable, and that just means a pitiful state. There's a scripture in Corinthians. Uh, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So Paul uses that same word. We're in a pitiful state. But the pitiful state that this man was in was a little different. And so he says here, you know, in, in the transition, the man says, I am rich and increased with goods and so on, have need of nothing in Jesus. But thou art, thou... Um, and knowest not that thou art. Knowest not. Do you not comprehend the meaning? That means to comprehend the meaning of something. Do you not comprehend the meaning of what I am saying to you? Do you not understand where you are, what condition you are in? One of the greatest blessings for the Christian is it's to have the Lord come and reveal to us our true spiritual condition. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous blessing. We are blind to our own condition many times, or most of the times, and other people sometimes can see in our lives what we are totally, totally blind to. That's why it's good to have a wife, Dave. <laughs> Because, you know, our wives, they'll see, see things about us that we don't even see. Think, Whoa. Or even your kids will say something. Oh, boy. And that happened to me recently. So it's a tremendous thing that the Lord would come through other people even to reveal where we are spiritually because that means that the Lord is concerned about us and he wants us to see the condition we're in. And why would he want us to see that? You know, we don't even want to see it, do we? The Lord sees it. He wants to bring it up. Why? We don't want to see that. Well, now, once it's before us, the Lord will give us a course of action. He'll show us what we need to do most of the time. He'll show us what needs to go on right now. Sometimes it may be a little later, but he'll show, he shows us. So that now the spotlight's there. And, and as I said, this happened to me just last week. And something occurred and someone said to me, wow. And they said, made a comment to me and I thought, I was like, oh my dear. And I felt about that big, maybe a little smaller. But I knew why the Lord did that, because he wants to change something. That's so nice. It doesn't leave us in 
the pitiful state sometimes we are in. We don't even know it. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think the stuff's great. I think it's wonderful. So he says that you are poor. You're a pauper spiritually. And you're blind and naked. Knowest not. Uh, that can you comp- Why is it that you cannot comprehend such and such? Now he goes on and he says in verse 18, I counsel thee. That's what he says to the pastor. Do we uh, value the counsel of the Lord? Do you know, and I'm sure you do, that the Lord has a plan for your life? And his counsel will advise you toward that end. See, he has a purpose for every person, all of you. So that when he brings his counsel, that is going to be advice, direction toward that end or toward the purpose he has for you personally. Now turn to Isaiah 9, verse 6. This is a scripture we all probably know. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what I want you to see. Counselor. Jesus is the Counselor. And in Proverbs 8.14 it says, Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have understanding and power. So he says, counsel and judgment are mine. Well, if counsel is his, and we need counsel, then who are we to go to? He is the one that has the answer. When many times we're up front praying for people, and sometimes you get an individual that comes up there, and their life is a mess. And, and, you know, you, you talk to them, and they're off on this area and that area and all this other stuff. And you say, Lord, help me to, to get down here, cut through that to what's going on. Because, you know, people come, and they don't really tell you. I'm talking about some people that you know, aren't Christians or whoever. They're not telling you what's going on with them. And so the Lord is there to bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and he, he knows the counsel and the thoughts and the intents of the heart, and so he can bring out the advice or the direction or the thing that needs to be brought out in order to bring that person into the place where he wants them to go into. So the Lord is pretty incredible. The more you walk with him, you will find that the less you know. The more I study, the more I learn, the more revelation the Lord gives me, the less I seem to know. It's like a contradiction in terms, but it's just like you start to see certain things open up and you you know that you know that you really don't know very much. And the Lord, when you begin to see him move in certain situations and and with, with people, and you're involved with that, and you see, the Lord really knows what he's doing. And you don't, you don't know much. I don't know much. I thank God for what I know, but I don't know a lot. And I, I'm glad that we all have the ability 
to go to the Lord and seek his counsel. We can all do that. He's the counselor. He, he says here, I counsel thee, thee, I counsel you. It's pastor, I'm counseling you. You know, are we interested and do we value the counsel of the Lord? Well, in this instance here, you've got to deal with this individual that's having these different problems and you don't have any idea what's going on with them. I value your counsel, Lord. I really do. But what about when I come to you and show you something related to you that needs changed? Do you value that counsel? Or this is the direction I want you to go in. Or this is the direction I don't want you to go in. Or this is where I want you to stay. Do we value that counsel? We say, yeah, we do. But see, the proof in valuing his counsel is by obeying him. That's the proof, if we really value his counsel. If we don't obey him, we're not going to listen to the counsel and, and follow through with it, then we can say what we want, but we really don't value his counsel. Isaiah 11.2 says this, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The spirit of counsel. It's probably, what we talked about last week, is probably related to the spirit of his mouth. I don't know. But the spirit of counsel, nonetheless, shall rest upon him. Talking about Jesus. I like that. So let's go back to Revelation. What counsel is he giving this man? He says, now he, here's the counselor. This is Jesus. He's going to counsel him. And he says here, verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thy eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. Now let's look at this a little bit. There are different methods of purifying gold. I don't know whether you knew that or not. Uh, in, in some of the processes today, they use chemicals. The chemicals are added. Uh, other processes, they, they um, add other forms of um, metal. Like, I think it's iron. I don't remember what it was, or lead. It was one of those that they add with it, and it helps in a purifying process. And I, I think that this speaks of the varying methods of the Lord used to purify gold. But mainly, gold is purified by high-temperature heating, as we all know. Gold, it says here, tried in the fire, not Olympic gold, where everybody spends, from some of these people, three years of age, they're in training so that when they, they reach 20, now they can, you know, they have what they need to get a gold medal. 17 years of training, and, and that fades. What fades? Well, the gold is going to fade eventually, but the glory involved with that fades, and their physical body is going to fade. Two years later, they can't even do the same thing that they did. They're not in, they can't go into metal contention anymore because physically they can't. So he says here, gold tried in the fire. Tried means 
to be inflamed, to cause to be hot, to make fiery hot, or to glow, I like this, to glow with heat. I've always wondered about the term, that person is on fire for the Lord. And what is meant most of the time by that is they have a zeal. But I think the real fire, being on fire for the Lord, means having the fire under you, where he is trying you. And now, because of this process, you have something of God to give to people. Not just your zeal. What's Paul say? A zeal without knowledge? But now there's something that's developed there. In Revelation 1.15, we, we saw this before. It says, speaking of Jesus, His feet were like unto fine brass as they had been burnt, as if they had been burnt in a furnace. Well, I kind of think that's referring to the fire that was lit in his life. Not just the healings and all that, but doing the will of the Father, having you know, the gold in Christ brought out as if it's like a fine, fine, fine gold, you know, fine brass, it says. Take some heat. Jesus had to deal with plenty of heat, more than we know. And then it says in Psalm 66.10, For thou, O God, hast proved or tested us. Thou hast tried or refined us as silver is refined. That's what the psalmist says. See, so this is not just something new. This, all this refining, the refining process is not something new. You see it throughout the Bible. Turn to Psalm 105. I've never taught a class just on that. Least one of these days I will. On refinement and all that because it, it's, it's quite good. I, you know, when I was younger, younger Christian, and I would hear some of these things, I would say, jeez, you know, it's like, what, why? <laughs> and then after you grow and you go through some of the processes and you see the Lord produce something in your life and you start to understand some things and you start to say, wow, this is really good. Now, not that you enjoy the fire, not that you enjoy the test, but what God can do from, from that is so good and so wonderful, and it's going to have such a value long-term that you may more, be more apt to want to endure it. Oh, nobody likes the trials, the tests, the sufferings. Most people don't. I mean, I guess if you're a, a masochist, you do. <laughs> but most people don't. But that's beside the point. You know, we're going to walk with Jesus no matter what. That's the, the thought we should have. And when we get further on in Revelation, there are some things that the judgments of God that come upon this earth, and I look at that and I say, Lord, 
make me strong. Make us strong. Make us de determined. That if they want to take our heads off, let them take them. If we have to starve to death, we'll starve to death. Whatever, whatever, whatever it takes, you know, we're going to have to be determined. And, you know, our, our children, so many of them in the service uh, received the Holy Spirit. They're going to need the Holy Spirit. We don't know what's coming down the road in this country. But as we get into some of the later chapters here, it won't be too long, we'll be moving into, I hope, some of these chapters. <laughs> but there is a push, and it's very, 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 very clear to see nowadays, 15, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, it wasn't as clear for globalization. It's almost a household term now. Well, why is that? The world's getting ready to usher in the man of sin. The world's getting ready. Psalm 105, verse 16. Moreover, he called for a famine. That's the Lord. Called for, you mean the Lord called for a famine? That's what it says. He called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph. So God had a plan already in place for this time. Who was sold for a servant. Well, what did he do wrong? What did Joseph do wrong? Somebody tell me. Nothing. He did everything right. Whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. So we don't hear about that too much, do we? So you want to be a Christian. So you want to be a prophet, they used to say. Well, read about the prophets, you who want to be prophets. You want a prophet's reward? Read about the prophets. Until it says they, they kept him in, in fetters and iron, until the time that his word, the Lord's word, came, the word of the Lord tried Joseph, tested him. And you don't have to turn there. This is um, Job 23. And of course, Job, in verse 10, he says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So Job had that in his heart, that no matter what the test, that was Job um, 23, 10. <coughs> No matter what the test, he was going to, to stay and hang in there. I'll tell you what. Oh, you're, you're doing Job, huh? Man went through an awful lot. Probably more than all of us together. So, what does that say? That if you're determined, you're going to walk with God. That no matter what comes, God's grace will be sufficient enough if you want it to, to take you through whatever it may be. And uh, that, to me, is kind of even, even saying that. It's like there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of things can come upon a Christian. So what I'm, what I'm trying to say is we need to be determined no matter what comes. You know, and don't be, what's a good word, wimpy? You know, be a wimpy Christian? Quit you like men to the battle. And Job goes on. He says that when he's tried, 
he, how did he know he was going to come forth as pure gold? Which is an interesting thought. He was that determined. He was going to go through with whatever, and he wasn't going to deny Christ and, and you know, turn the other way. And he says, I have esteemed, well, it's, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. So what the Lord counseled him or showed him, he was going to stick with that. He says, I have esteemed the words of the Lord's mouth more than my necessary food. And then he goes on and says, For God maketh my heart soft. But what I wanted to show you here is that he said when he is tried, he said, I shall come forth as pure gold. You know, the purer the gold, the more its value. If you have a, a gold necklace and it's not of much purity, it's not worth a whole lot. But as it moves toward more and more purity, uh, there is greater and greater value. So even in the natural, and you see this in the Bible, comparing that to certain things in spirit, certain qualities and what have you, even in the natural you see that the purity matters. So that the Lord is going to have times for all of us where the heat is going to be on. And that's just the way it is. Now, it's not always going to be like that because the Lord knows, you know, we have limits, don't we? But the problem is we don't know our limits. So the Lord sometimes pushes us to our limits. And we say, that's it, I'm done. And the Lord says, no, you're not. You haven't quite reached the limit yet. And so something else pressing you, and it's like, no, you want to lash out. That always seems to be the answer, doesn't it? Well, that, that shows us where we are. That's good. I mean, it's not good that we lash out, but it just shows us something. So in maybe that one area, you, you are not what you thought you were. In another area, you may be, but not in this area. This is the place the Lord needs to work and refine, so that's where he's going to turn up the heat. <laughs> oh, the Lord is just, he's a master. He's our master, hopefully. But he's a master at what he does. He's a master of circumstances. And you know, we have them, don't we? Oh, Yeah. Now, let's go back to Revelation chapter 3. And there's two other verses I'll just read. Zechariah 13, 9. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them. I think we read that. And then in Malachi, this, this verse in Malachi is really a good one. Malachi 3, 3. Speaking of the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Well, he's going to sit and check it out. He's going to be the refiner. He's going to sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. Why? that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. 
See, so the Lord is interested in not just an offering with them and with us, but an offering in righteousness. And righteousness deals with character. So the Lord has to work so that we can offer a offering in righteousness. So he is going to sit as a refiner of silver and gold. Check it out. He'll sit there and he'll work. He'll do what he needs to do. And as I said before, the Lord gives us breaks. You know, you, you know I, I was in something for 13 years, and then the Lord gave me a big break. And then I got in something else. And you're in that for a couple years. Then the Lord, okay, he gives you a break for a while, you know, five years or whatever, maybe a year. Who knows? Then you're moving into something. Why? You're, you see, because our lives always change. The circumstances, we, we flow from circumstance to circumstances. They always change, even within the family. So the Lord looks at that, and he sees that, and he knows, he's, you know, he knows what's going on. And so he's interested in bringing some value out of that. See, there, there's more to the circumstance than the circumstance. There's more to your situation than just your situation. You know, I'm in it, this is going on, that's going on. Try to see beyond your very limited scope of understanding and see that there's something else moving there and you will see that the Lord is involved in some way in doing something. And, and as I have shared with you before, there are times even in little things where the Lord you know, will come and put his finger on something for me at work. Say, okay, look at this. You need to change this. This has to change. And, and a lot of times it deals with our attitudes, really, as, as I see it. Now, it's not always that, but a lot of times it is. So if, you're, if you have a perfectly great attitude about every single thing in the world in your life, then probably it's not going to apply to you. But I don't know of too many people. Matter of fact, I don't know of any. Is anybody here? I don't know. But see, the Lord will deal with, yeah, I'm sure, with our attitudes. And so there's always... Something. Remember the scripture. To get quoted here. Uh, hold on a minute. Let me see if I can find it. It's in Ephesians, I think. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. What's he talking about? Huh? What's that? The bride of Christ. Wow. You get a star. I had to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you did get a star. <laughs> that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle. So to get rid of the spots and wrinkle, the Lord has to do some work there. But listen to this. Or any such thing. The any such thing is the fine-tuning and the tweaking that the Lord will do with the bride to get these little things that may not be sin at all, that people wouldn't consider sin, the world, of course, would not consider sin, if most Christians would consider it sin, 
but the Lord deals with it because he is de dealing with the bride of Christ. He wants to prepare a bride, so he's going to do some fine-tuning or any such thing. Thing that maybe you've done or maybe your manner of speaking to someone or whatever it may be. And you've always done it that way, and that's the way it, it comes out. And the Lord said, wait, wait, now I'll put my finger on it. Now you have to there'll be a change there. I'm just using that as an example. So <clears throat> the Lord puts the fire under the gold, and the gold is what? What's the gold? What's the precious metal? Anybody? You. <laughs> the fire is under you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> I like it. Relax. Not you. You. Relax. See, the Lord sees that you're precious. He sees that there is some precious metal there. And so the Lord wants you to leave this life with greater value so he works to get the impurities out. See, don't get all frustrated and mad with yourself when you fail. You're going to fail. You know that, don't you? It's all part of it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, well, what's he doing down there? Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast on, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. See, so if you fall and you fail, okay, pick yourself, pick yourself back up and say, okay, Lord, let's continue on and help me to do whatever I need to do, maybe to change my lips, sew them together with a zipper there, so I shut up maybe in a time when I shouldn't, when I should, when I don't, whatever it may be. Because the Lord wants to bring the impurities up. And how, how else can the impurities come up if, it, if it's not in your situation? Ever wonder why sometimes you get in these situations? You say, why, you know, why does it have to be like this? Why are you like that? Why can't you change? I've been a Christian all these years. And you know how we go? You go crazy. Why do, that's the impurities coming up, see? Now the Lord's going to say, okay, let's move them out of the way. Now we have something of greater value here than we had before. So don't condemn yourself. You know, I'm not saying you need to act like that, but I'm just saying that we are what we are. And things come up, don't they? Yeah, they do. You don't have to shake your head. Yes, I know they do. You can't fool me. So the Lord wants to change that. That's why he sits as a refiner of gold and silver, so that you can give an offering in righteousness like the, the Levites. Not, not the law, but the offering in righteousness. So back in Revelation 3.18, the Lord says this. Where is it here? Oh, yeah. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Buy of me. Buy. Hmm. How are we going to buy? Let's turn to Isaiah 55, verse 1. Ho, everyone that is thirsty, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Now, he's talking about salvation. Salvation is free. But 
there are other things that we are, buy, we are to buy, and Jesus is telling this pastor, buy of me. He said, uh, and he that, that hath no money, come, come ye, buy and eat, yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So buy without money. What is going to be the medium of exchange here? It's not going to be money because he says without money. See, that's not the medium of exchange. The medium of exchange is going to be the individual's will. But in the context of what you're seeing in Revelation, he needs to first of all repent. See, he cannot get from the Lord what the Lord wants to give him unless he buys, and he cannot buy spiritually unless there is, a, first of all, a repentance. And there are other mediums of buying, for example, being faithful or your faithfulness in the test. So as you're faithful in the particular test you're in, you are buying, whether you are aware of it or not, you are buying something precious. The Lord wants you to purchase from him. Well, you need to surrender to him. You need to agree with him. There are many different mediums of exchange here for this. Another example would be your time. Do you give your time to the Lord? Do you spend time in the word? You know, oh, I'd rather be doing this or that or the other thing. Well, there's a lot of people that are like that. Christians I'm talking about. Well, if, if you're not giving him your time, and of course, you can't give him all your time. You have to function as a human being. He's not asking you for all your time. He wants your heart, see, so that your main interest is him. He's the focal point of your heart and life. Oh, you go to work, you do this, you do that, you have your responsibilities, you know, whatever it may be. But still, he is the focus of your life. Well, if that's the case, then you will be buying from him that which he's willing and wants to give. But you can't just go your own way and... You know, that's why he's telling this pastor and the church, buy of me. They thought they were rich. He thought he was rich. You know, maybe he thought he was rich, as I said before, spiritually. Either way, he thought he had need of nothing. But Jesus says, you're in a bad way spiritually. And so you need to buy of me. So in order to buy of me, now I need to be the focus, not your riches, not your goods, you know, not your ministry, none of that. He has to be the focus. And another means of, of buying is our attitudes. Well, where's that in the scripture? Oh, I'll show you. I'll show you. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith, the testing of your faith works endurance. Well, what does the attitude have? What is your attitude and my attitude in the test? The, the testing of your faith works endurance. Well, 
If I have the right attitude in that, I can be purchasing certain things. But if my attitude is bad, then I may, may not get too much. I might have the same test as somebody else. They'll get something from it. I might not. So your attitude means a lot. Toward God, first of all. Toward his will and his ways. And our attitude toward people and so on. He says, now, you need to do this. Let's go back to Revelation 3. Buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Now that there is a different type of riches than the man is talking about, that he has. This, these three words, maybe, maybe I don't know if it's all, all the words or not, that thou mayest be rich. Mayest is a subjunctive mood verb that is the verb of possibility. So it is possible for him to be made rich, just like it's possible for us to be made rich spiritually. So once again, the Lord brings this before him, and, and it's a decision he's going to have to make to go his own way or not. So he goes on and he says, um, that thou mayest be rich in, in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, <clears throat> that thou mayest see. <clears throat> Excuse me. Anoint thy eyes with eye salve. Now, when you go and you look at the Old Testament, there were various reasons uh, for the anointing when they would anoint the, the Levites and the priests and so on. But one of the re one of the, the the things seen there uh, through anointing was uh, that there had to be a, a separation between them and the world, or the Levites and the other tribes. There was separation. So I can't help but to think that that applies here when he says, "Anoint thy eyes." Or that you need to be separated. Your eyes need to be separated from whatever has your attention. Oh, I have need of nothing. I am rich. Well, your eyes need to be separated from that. The reason why he tells him to, to anoint his eyes, the, the bottom line is that he may see. Now, it's, it's really odd that sometimes people think they see when they don't see. Very strange, actually. And you see this in Christianity many times as you move on in the Lord, and maybe you'll be involved in leadership someday. And you may be involved in counseling someone. And they think they see in the situation. And they're convinced that they see. And you say something, and they will take what you say and say that you don't see. You're not right. And, you know, you're being aggressive toward me when you shouldn't be. And it's strange that we need to have the Lord anoint us because it's a strange thing we can be blinded 
and be totally unaware that we're blind. And you run into that quite a bit where people think that they see and they don't. And you try to, to show them something and they don't believe you, they don't take your advice, they don't, you know, they, they have moved. The reason that occurs with some Christians is because they have moved from the purpose of God in their life in some, and moved in some other direction, some way they've moved in another way. And it's, it's a sad thing. And it's, it's, you feel totally helpless, but yet there's no vision there at all. And Jesus, through the letter here, comes to this pastor at Laodicea who thinks he sees. And he says, you don't see. You think one thing. You see this, and this is what you think is right. And this is what's really the reality of the situation. So that tells me that I need to be soft-hearted and I have to hold my heart in a way in which the Lord can get through to me if I have an area where I cannot see what he's trying to show me, maybe through somebody else. And I, I shared with you, just as a little example, uh, of the incident at work where I, the mirrors were all just, you couldn't even see them because the one individual didn't clean them for four or five months, and they were nasty. You couldn't even see in them. And so I, I got a little upset. Maybe I should say I got mad, <laughs> angry. I, I didn't feel I was angry, but I just went with a soap dispenser and went, I said, no, there he goes. Now he's going to have to clean them. And walked four or five steps, and the Lord said, what did you do? I mean, it's just got that in my spirit. Not that he spoke audibly to me or anything, but it's in my spirit. It's like I stopped. And then I turned. I said, okay, Lord. So, see, we have to have our hearts in a place where he can deal with us with certain things. Now, I could have walked out of there and justified myself, and somebody said, you know, what you did wasn't right. Nobody saw me, by the way. But they said, what you did wasn't right. And I said, hey, you deserved it. You know, I'll be the righteous judge of God, you know, from God. He deserved it. But see, I, I have to hold my heart in a way that the Lord can show me when I'm wrong. And sometimes, you know, we have to stew for a while and get over, you know, ourselves, our, you know, our being mad. And then when we settle down, then the Lord can say, okay, now. The Lord knows when to do this, you know. Sometimes we're so mad, you know, what do they say? You're spitting uh, fire or whatever. Huh? Spitting bullets. Everybody has a different expression. But we're so mad, we can't, the Lord can't even reason with us. So he waits. And as soon as we settle down, it's like, boom, right there. Okay, all right, let's take care of this thing. But we don't want to get in a place where the Lord can't come to us and say, you think you see and you don't see. You think you know, but you don't know. I think it's a very dangerous place to be. So he tells him to anoint his eyes with eye salve that he may See, and that's also that thou mayest see is subjunctive mood verb, so that's also possible. It just depends on 
the reaction of the individual, whether the Lord can bring them into sight or not. Now, in verse 19 is very nice. The Lord says, as many as I love. That's not agape, you know. That's uh, 5368 in the Strong's. That's phileo, fondness. You know, the ones that the Lord is very fond of. Now, listen. As many as I am fond of, I rebuke and chasten. So if the Lord has come to you in correction, that means, see, let's do, let's do the, the math here, okay? If the Lord comes to you in correction, that equals fondness. That means he likes you. So don't worry about it if you get corrected. It means the Lord's fond of you. So if, when I, if I can actually see this, you know, that's nice because I won't be so upset when the Lord comes to try to correct me. Now, maybe you all never need correction, but I do once in a while. So remember, when he comes, he's fond of you. Don't get upset with the Lord. You know, don't get all disturbed. Just say, thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you that you're so fond of me that you decided to come and show me where I need corrected. Thank you. It's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Very positive. Because your eternal destiny, well, that's not a good word, your eternal outcome is at stake. Another translation says this, I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door. Now we always use this and quote this for people that aren't saved. And we say, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. He wants you. And, of course, that's true, and, you know, it can be used that way. But look at it in the context. See, he's not talking about the unsaved here. He's not talking to the unsaved. He's talking to a pastor. And he's saying something here. I am standing at the door and knocking, and then he makes this general thing for everyone, including the, the pastor, the church, and anyone. If anyone... Anybody hears my voice and opens the door. Well, what door? Well, the door of the heart, that's true. But the word door here means entrance, entrance way, but it also means opportunity. So he stands before with the opportunity. For what? To give you the personal direction in order to acquire the character that he wants in your life as we talked about last week. See, he stands at the door to give you direction. You come in, the opportunity's there. Now, this is an entrance way into another realm, into another place, uh, moving from this place of indifference, moving from this place where 
the character of Christ is not being developed because of uh, the attitude or because of you know what's going on with his pastor. If he goes to the door and he moves through, now he's moving into another place to where now, because of his repentance, because of his obedience, because he is taking the direction and the word of the Lord, now he's going to be able to, to move into another place where the Lord can begin the work again, the refining and all these things that will develop him and, and bring about the characteristics that the Lord has to some degree in him. So there's an entranceway before him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, uh, come in to him and will sup with him. The, the sup here is dealing with the evening uh, meal, the chief meal of the day, in other words. And what he's talking about is fellowship and communion. He's going to come and have fellowship and communion. The Lord cannot have fellowship and communion with every Christian. Do you know that? Because if, if they are willfully living in sin, and they're not too interested in straightening up, they're not too interested in walking with the Lord, they're not too interested in his will and purpose for their life, the Lord can't really come and fellowship much with them. I mean, they're saved, okay. But as far as this communion that he wants, that's lacking. I'm not talking about the emblems, taking the emblems, because that's, that's really not much of anything. Better to have communion when you come to church in your heart and have communion in the spirit than have the emblems every week. I'd rather never have them. This do in remembrance of me. People, Christians don't know what in the world that means. Anyway, to begin with. They don't know what that means. So the Lord is having a difficult time here. He wants to have fellowship. But here's the door. You know... In the Bible, it talks about keys. I'll give, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. You ever hear that scripture? Yeah, okay. What in the world are the keys? Oh, these are my keys. There is a key. Now, now, pay attention to this. There is a key for this individual to come into this other realm. And the Lord gave him the key. He's given it to him. Now he's got to use them. The Lord's given us the keys to the kingdom. And you find them throughout the entire Bible. And in this situation, there's the key. He needs to use the key. He may have, but he has to use them if he's going to move in the kingdom. If he's going to move toward a richer, fuller uh, relationship, however you want to say that. If he's going to uh, come into what the Lord wants for him as far as character and what have you. He has to use the key. So the Lord gives us the, king, the keys to the kingdom. So, you know, you pay attention to that. When you read the scriptures, you'll see all kind of keys. He says, okay, this, this, and this. And then for this, you need to do this. Um, you see it in the Old Testament. But you can see it a lot in the New Testament. The keys to the kingdom. 
There they are. What are they? I mean, some spiritual keys hanging around? Oh, can I get some? No, the keys are there. Another way of saying it is look at the scripture for the condition. The condition is the key. Key to the kingdom. Key to move to another place. Not when you die, now. What are you talking about? <laughs> so he goes on and he says, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my father's son throne. Now remember last week we talked about the throne. And you had the seven spirits before the throne. So he's giving this man, even though he's in the condition he's in, the Lord is placing this out there that if you overcome, you can possibly sit with me in my kingdom. Well, what do I have to overcome? It's going to have to be more than one thing. It's going to be multiple things. What did Jesus overcome? Jesus overcame more than one thing. He overcame a, a multitude of things. And those that will make it further into the throne will also have to overcome multiple things. I don't know what they may be for you. I don't know. But there's a lot we always have to overcome. And so he, he puts that out there, uh, maybe as a hope that if the man, you know, or the church, <clears throat> yeah, I, I want to sit with you, Lord, will start to change and direct their lives and, and use the keys and move into uh, this other place through this entryway to uh, acquire that which the Lord has for them. <clears throat> so he, he says, um, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I, or in the same manner, I have overcome. Well, that's what it's going to take. And I'm set down with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so, once again, we end here in, in this particular portion of Scripture. The Lord says, those that hear, let them hear. Because those that hear what the Spirit is saying will begin to uh, push forward and they will begin to allow the Lord to do what he wants in order to bring about that which he needs to bring about in our lives. So it's interesting to see how even in this short number of verses here, how there's one thing there and one thing builds upon another and then it leads to another thing and then you have this, this key and all these different things. Even in this short period, how many verses did we look at? Six, seven, eight, nine verses. But we actually were only dealing with about seven. The Lord lays it all out there. And as I said earlier, it's not just the pastor. It's not just the church of Laodicea. These things apply to us. And the Lord is desirous that we continue on and move for him. Okay, let's... Stop there, we'll continue next week.